All right, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God. I'm your host, Adam Michael. We're going to be unpacking the fourth chapter of Prepare to Overcome, which is also a workbook called Preparing the Saints, which was made prior to Prepare to Overcome. And we're on the fourth chapter. So the first chapter was Rebuilding the Walls. Uh, The second chapter was The Kingdom of God. The third was Repentance. And now we reach the fourth chapter, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is so important and is what a lot of people consider the forgotten God. And it is so true because even in the Acts of the Apostles, we are going to read and dive into that people didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening in the church today is we have neglected the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And instead, man has done his way of just cranking out churches instead of being led by the Spirit. So a lot of curriculum that's out there, all these things are good things, but is that what the Holy Spirit has called the church to do? That is the question, because Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit after he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was healing the people that Jesus touched, that he encountered, that he laid hands on. So what is this Holy Spirit? Who really is this Holy Spirit? Because he is a person. He's not a force. He is a person. And I can tell you that he is the most gentle, kind, and encouraging person I have ever met. And I cannot truly see my life without him. That is how important he is. He is just so amazing, so patient. So we're going to dive into our first scripture. Now, There are three baptisms mentioned in the Bible. That's right, three baptisms. And a lot of people, of course, they're like, we don't, I don't believe you. There's, I don't believe you one bit. So I'm like, okay, well, let's go to scripture to find out this truth. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus. And in chapter 19, verse 2, it says, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And then it goes on and he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. Now, think about that for just a moment. So Paul walks into Ephesus and he just asks questions. 
and he says, okay, well, you know, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Now, these people received John's baptism, which was that of repentance, which is chapter three of prepare to overcome repentance. So they turn from their wicked ways, and then they find out that it was Jesus that they were turning to. And in this process, they then become baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, these are born-again believers. Born-again believers. And then you'll notice something. Once that happened, Paul laid his hands on them. So there was a laying on of hands. And when he laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And now they received the third baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I can't explain that as far as the laying on of hands and how it transfers. I just know that I've seen more people baptized this last year because they were curious. They were like, wait, there's something, the Lord was stirring something in them that made them really ask themselves, am I really baptized in the Holy Spirit? And what is this baptism? And then once explained to them, they're like, well, this is, I want this, I want this. And then just a simple laying on of hands and say, and praying. And just, they literally say, I, I feel tingling starting down from my head all the way down to my toes. And just this peace just came upon them. And they were just completely changed. And they were, a lot of people cry when they receive it. And they're just overcome with this joy that was put upon them. That is the very presence and essence of the Holy Spirit when that happens. Okay, so now we're going to turn to John chapter 20, verse 20. It says, when he had said this, now he goes into... uh, He appears to the disciples and he says, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So you picture the moment. Jesus appears to the the disciples, and they're kind of spooked. And then he says, peace, peace be with you. And then they look and examine his hands and his side, and they're like, this is the Christ. This is my Lord and my Savior. And then he says, Peace be with you. Because at that point, you know that they're thinking, oh man, we completely ran away when things got rough. Oh my gosh, we are so sorry, Lord. But that's why he said, peace be with you again. And then you have it where he breathes on the disciples and it says, receive the Holy Spirit. That is when they've been baptized in Jesus' name. That is their born again experience. If you have been born again, you have been baptized in Jesus' name. And because you've been baptized in Jesus' name, what you need to be then 
is baptized in the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people, they get baptized in Jesus' name, born-again experience, and then that's it. Now, we know that's not the end of the story for the apostles and the disciples because later, 40, 40 days later, you have Pentecost. And you have it where they receive the Holy Spirit, the power from on high, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that will illuminate the Scriptures for you. You need this Holy Spirit. Spirit. You know, with that being said, uh, we've got Debbie Simpson on the line, and she's going to help us uh, see the Holy Spirit a little clearer and uh, help us out in this great understanding of who this person of the Holy Spirit is. Uh, Debbie, are you there? I am here, Adam. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So, yeah, we were talking about the Holy Spirit today, uh, and we're looking for some insight, so feel free to take it away. Well, thank you. Everything that you have shared is scriptures that we've all read, and it is the truth of God's Word. And it was things that I understood in my mind, but to move from that intellectual understanding to actually bring it into the heart and walking it out was a very difficult thing. And what I would like to go into with regard to the Holy Spirit and this study is the, hopefully, the path that could help pave the way from going from an intellectual understanding to being able to receive this in the heart. As we move, have moved forward in this study, what we see as we move into this portion on the Holy Spirit is that the building blocks for a strong spiritual foundation continue to be built up. First, the Lord God had revealed to us our broken world and the ramifications of not knowing the commands of God, the ramifications being that a Christian walk of defeat um, is in play and that that can become a victorious one only after the enemy's been expelled from our midst. Keep in, you know, stay with me here. Next, the Lord showed through his word, his intent, his desire, and his purpose to infiltrate all creation with himself, to expand his kingdom rule from heaven to earth. As his power, as his people, excuse me, expel the enemy from the camp, then the kingdom of God can begin to expand and to grow in the earthly realm through his people. But this can only be done if his people understand, first, that the walls are broken and need to be built up, that there is a kingdom to be manifested, and that believers allow the truth of God's word to change their mind, to change their direction. This is the result of that repentance that we were talking about in our last podcast. And part of what needs to be changed in our mind is exactly everything, Adam, that you just shared with regards to the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, that this is something that needs to be integrated and woven into the very essence of who we are as people. And that as believers, we begin to grow up into these truths, then we're able to walk in the spirit, which is a supernatural endeavor. 
okay? And it's also a sign of our maturity in our faith. But before I continue to talk about the Holy Spirit, I do, the word mature, I'd like to digress for a few minutes here to discuss maturity. Because very often it has been defined, and rightfully so, as perfect. And when Scripture calls us to be therefore perfect, even as Christ is perfect, we all know that perfect is defined as mature. However, maturity is more complete in its definition in that it is that which is more ready to apprehend divine things as is God's expectation of us. Keep in mind the Holy Spirit is divine. The term elder in Scripture is the same word used as mature. So typically what we see in the church is that we appoint elders, those persons who know the Word of God. However, God's definition of an elder would more likely be those persons who know the God of the Word. That would be the divine things. And this is confirmed in John chapter 4, verse 23 when it says that the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Here, a biblical definition of, a, of spirit is a life-giving spirit that possesses the power of knowing, desiring, deciding, and acting. See, this is he's a person. He communicates God's counsels. This is still your definition. He communicates God's counsels. Counsels is what? Opinion. A counsel by definition is opinion. He communicates God's opinion to those Christians whom God employs through teaching, guiding, prompting, and restraining. Of interest to note, inherent in this definition is those Christians who God employs. God does not employ all believers equally. That's what we discover from this definition. Um, the deciding factor lies in the maturity of the believer. Why? Because maturity dictates the one more ready to apprehend divine things. It kind of reminds me of those who are among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Not all of God's people will rebuild the, the ruins. And that's what we need to, to keep in mind as we kind of go through this study. And I just encourage anyone who's listening to understand. It says in Ezekiel 34:17 that the Lord makes a separation between the sheep and the sheep, between the male goats, and the sheep. And what we all would have no problem saying and understanding is that God makes a separation between the sheep and the goats. We know that God makes a separation. He separates his people out. But what God has been showing me is that part of the kingdom of God, the governance of the kingdom of God, the principles of the kingdom are as with any kingdom. God's going to make a separation between his own people, the sheep and the sheep. This is God's word. This is what it says. And that, and he's going to make a separation out between the sheep and the male goats. Those male goats are the leaders that was known in the Old Testament to be describing the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the he-goats. And God's even going to separate those out. He's looking for those. You could be a he-goat. You could be an elder. That's what this is saying. And you can know the word of God. But if you don't know the God of the word, the intimacy that we've been talking about, the understanding of the Holy Spirit in you, you're then there's a huge piece of understanding the God of the word missing in all of our lives as believers. 
So if you go through what I would like to touch on is an understanding of really the the believer's heart towards accepting and receiving his truth because of the strength of the scriptures backing this move in their life to give them permission. Um, in our podcast yesterday, Adam, you commented on oftentimes people ask the question, you know, Lord, if it be your will. See, and in this definition, it's made clear the Holy Spirit communicates God's counsel, God's opinion on the matter to those Christians whom God employs. And those Christians who God employs are those mature, the more ready to apprehend divine things. As is God's expectation of us. It is God's expectation that we all aspire to this place, but, but we don't not all do that. What we see here is that Jesus says here in John 4, 24, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Man is body, soul, and spirit. The spirit of a man is what has the power of knowing, desiring, deciding, and acting in accord with the spirit of God. So we've been equipped to interact, interface with the spirit of God. It is that portion of man that interacts or interfaces with the spirit of God, who, the spirit who knows the mind of God and reveals to those who love him. And God, in his word, to find those who love him. If you keep my command, then you love me. Those who love me keep my command. We obey. We keep. And as we understand as believers who the Spirit is in our lives, and we receive that and submit to that, then we're walking in obedience to that. um, To worship in spirit, your mind must interact or interface with the Spirit of God, and this is why the spiritual man can and does know the mind of God. He worships in spirit. Interesting, Adam, is that truth is that which is fact, but that which is in accord with divine nature. If it's in accordance with divine nature, it's true. And if we're not plugged in, if our divine, if that portion of our nature, our spirit is not plugged into the Spirit of God, then we are not going to be able to ascertain truth because it's going to come from the divine nature that is connecting with the Spirit of God. Believers have been given this divine nature. In Second Peter 1, 4, it makes that clear. And they have been enlightened and made partakers of the Holy Spirit, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. So we see this is what qualifies believers to worship in spirit and truth. The question is, do we do that? So um, what we see also is in 1 Corinthians 2.9, this is just a confirmation of everything that I've just said. It goes on to say, I have not seen, and ear has not heard, and has not entered into the heart of man. Why? It's not entered into the heart of man because it's brought into the spirit of man. The heart of man is his soul, his soul realm. It's what he thinks. It's what he believes. It's what he feels. Is what he understands based on his human mindset. And so 1 Corinthians 2 9 says, it hasn't entered in to the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him, those who submit in obedience to what the Word of God is revealing with regards to God's intention for his people, 
his plan for his people, and then to receive that. It goes on in verse 10, for God has revealed those things through this, his spirit. His spirit searches all things, the depths of God. And then it goes on to talk about, we've talked about this verse before, that the spirit of God revealed into the spirit of the man, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But that being said, once again, we all know that Satan is the great counterfeiter who counterfeits everything of God. He also can and often does operate in a false Holy Spirit. This is known as a kundalini spirit, and it perverts and distorts the true Holy Spirit of God. The problem is, Adam, if believers who, like myself, have seen this perversion or have been taught to, to be fearful that there's a spiritual move, but you don't know who it's from, so then they stiff arm the Holy Spirit into suspicion, seeing a supernatural move and thinking maybe it's of a devil. Then, by exhortations, we need to not throw out the baby with the bathwater. And that's what I'd like to just communicate today, if nothing else, that what is prevalent in the earth today, in the church today, excuse me, is that the Satan's come in, he's brought a false move of God, and discerning believers have recognized, that's eh, not really of God. But they're saying it's of God. So I'm staying far away from that because I want to honor God and I want to please God. Then enter in the Holy Spirit trying to communicate and instantly memories or past teachings on this pop into our heads and we stiff arm. And we're like, oh, I'm not going there because I want to please God and I don't want to walk down the wrong path. So we can't stiff arm the Holy Spirit because Satan has counterfeited it. And therefore, we kick it out out of fear. To stiff arm the Holy Spirit from fear or misunderstanding would qualify this as an area in our mind that we need to repent of or change our mind on. You know, we need to go to God in our prayer chair, in our prayer closet. We need to ask him, grow me up in this area, Lord. My native tongue is Holy Spirit. In the garden, it said that you say, Lord, in the garden, that you walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and you conversed. Well, Lord, your spirit, Adam and Eve would converse with you in spirit. But after the fall, that got cut off from us. We were dead in the spirit. And now we speak carnal. And I don't speak Holy Spirit anymore. It is my native tongue, but it's, it's a foreign tongue now. Lord, teach me how to hear and understand the Holy Spirit. While at the same time, Lord, protect me from all that is trying to counterfeit your move. Lord, protect me from falling prey to the wrong spirit. And God will show you that. God will show you that so that you may grow into one who is more ready to receive divine things without the fear of it being from the wrong source. To understand that it can be from the wrong source is extremely discerning and it's extremely wise. And we need to always be evaluating. But that doesn't mean that we're not pursuing. 
Once they give the Holy Spirit permission and actively look to his influence and instruction, then we position ourselves to receive more of him. It's just as Jesus showed us in the wedding feast of Canaan with the six clay pots. Six is the number of man, clay, man. Those clay pots, they were empty. We need to empty ourselves. We need to empty ourselves of our opinion on the matter. We need to empty ourselves of our belief systems that are lofty, that are held as holy, but we believe them, that are held as holy and we believe them to be holy, but are not. And go to God and ask that this us be emptied, even as a clay pot. After we've been emptied, only then can we be filled with the living word, the water of the living word, to be turned into the choice wine of the Spirit of God. That's the picture there. If we're not emptied, this can't happen. So that's all I would like to exhort with regards to understanding why maybe this move the Spirit in our lives has been quenched. And Adam, you, know, you talked about the baptism. And I'll say this, and then I'll hand it back to you if there's uh, other things that you would like to share. But in the book, as you read through that, we made a distinction between the Holy Spirit in a believer and the Holy Spirit upon the believer. And this is another thing that I have heard come up, and I myself struggled with. Well, when you're saved, we all have the Holy Spirit in us. Don't tell me that you have more Holy Spirit than I have, because we all have the same Holy Spirit, because we're all saved. Again, your definition will give you a deeper understanding. I always call it where the rubber meets the road. It really helps to make distinctions in the realities of what's going on in the spiritual realm, which is where God presides and resides. The Holy Spirit in, the word in, it's N, E-N. It's a believer's union with God through faith in Jesus. By definition, it's the in the interior of something. It's within the limits of some space. In this case, it's in the purpose, soul, and nature of a man. That's the Holy Spirit in you. And everybody's got that. Everybody's got that. But when you look at the word baptism, as you talked about, Adam, to submerge, to immerse, to immensely, to, to richly immense, that's kind of an awkward way of saying it. It's just in the definition. A large bestowment or an outpouring. That's the very definition of baptism gives the connotation of an overflow, an abundant outpouring, almost like a drowning. <laughs> and the word upon, so if you're baptized and you've got this outflowing due to, to immense richly of this Holy Spirit, and now it's upon you, this means a resting upon, a place upon which. So, then you've got the idea of the Holy Spirit in the believer at salvation. But now, in addition to that, you've got a resting upon this word. It carries a connotation, interestingly enough, of both rest and motion combined. Only God can do that. <laughs> it's an influence, a spreading out or a stretching over. Get this. The word upon, by definition, is an increase and addition of superintendence. And that's why when we talk about the Holy Spirit upon us in these scriptures that you've read, 
there is a distinction being made. And so we need to understand it matches those Christians whom God employs. Those whom God employs are those who are mature because they're more ready to apprehend divine things. You can only you can only apprehend the divine things if you've got the divine spirit in you giving you these understandings, but you on the receiving end have to be willing to accept and receive them without fear that this is the wrong spirit. Again, you're kind of navigating a minefield. You're in your prayer closet, and you're asking God to reveal to you the truth. Is this from you, Lord? You know, and his word never contradicts his word. And understanding what his word is saying is imperative to giving to giving us permission in our heart to walk this path. This is what God does, so it's okay. I don't have to be afraid. So, no, that's uh, that's great. Honestly, everything that you said, I mean, I can completely relate to as far as in the beginning, you know, I was told anybody, let's say, that's speaking in tongues or claiming healing or anything like that, I was told to run away from. Like straight up, you get out of that situation, that person doesn't have the right spirit or that person has a demon. Interestingly enough, they said the same thing about Jesus. When they saw that he was doing things and he was casting out demons of people, they're like, well, that's because it's the power of a demon. That's why. And that is exactly how they characterized Jesus. And that's exactly how I was actually characterizing some people that I ran into. And I mean, I would stay clear of them. I was told to just run away um, because I didn't know. I was really early in my walk with the Lord. And that's just how I was brought up in this. And you're right, there is a, a separation uh, that goes on, which is what you mentioned earlier. And, you know, that separation's clear in the Bible. You've got Moses on the top of the mountain, you have Joshua halfway there, and then you have the rest of the congregation. And then you have, <laughs> let's say, even the disciples. You have the disciples where they are, uh, you've got the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Then you have the rest of the 12, and then you have the 72, Yet again, there's that separation of intimacy that they had with Jesus. Because Peter, James, and John, they went with Jesus. They saw the transfiguration happen. That's that intimacy aspect. And then getting back to what I mentioned in John 20, that's when he, remember, he breathed on them. This is the born-again experience is what I mentioned because that's when the, he breathed on them. They inhaled, and there you got them getting born again, just like Adam in the garden, when God breathed the, the life-giving uh, breath into Adam's nostrils, into his lungs. Same situation happened. It just happened with Jesus breathing life back into them. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in them. But Pentecost didn't happen yet. So the Holy Spirit wasn't upon them yet. Mm -hmm. And there's your distinction between it. And I can't stress enough the importance of the Holy Spirit. And, and and let's just take care of some of the things that I've heard said. It's A lot of people are like, well, if you're not speaking in tongues, if you're not this, then you're not saved. Absolutely not true, because the disciples were saved in John tw chapter 20. They were saved then because they had the Holy Spirit in them, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit upon them. 
So I've heard that teaching before. It's like, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. And that's unfortunately not true. Now, that is a sign that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon you, but that's not a salvation thing. And that's something that needs clarification because I know a lot of uh, belief systems out there are, are about that. And, um, and it's so important, too. There are people out there that I've talked to, and I've asked the question, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they kind of chuckle at me. Are you kidding me? Are, of, of course I've received the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, no, 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 has the Holy Spirit come upon you? And they're like, yet again. And it, what happens is pride comes, comes into effect. And I'm like, well, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And yet again, all these questions then fuels this, this almost this anger of asking. And it, but it's an important question because if they're not doing the things of the Spirit, the same things that were done in Acts, that's why I would say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they assume that this baptism is the whole born-again experience. Of course I've been baptized in, in the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, there's the distinction between the two. Scripture talks of it. Acts specifically talks of it the three, with the three baptisms. And it is extremely important that we know this so that we're able to then be empowered from on high and then go and do the works that the Lord has set before us. And I know that it all comes down to asking. Asking, getting alone with the Lord and asking him. And asking, Father, I just want to be baptized in your Holy Spirit. I, that's, that's what I want. And know, and, and know 100% without doubting whatsoever that he's going to give it to you. He's not going to give you, you know, I, I questioned it. That's why I say this. Because, you know, I'm like, wait, did I really get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Or is this another spirit? And then that's why in Scripture it talks about if you ask for bread, He's not going to give you a stone. He's not going to give you a serpent. He's not going to give you anything but bread. And the same thing deals with the Holy Spirit when you ask. And But you have to ask in faith. You have to ask knowing that he is giving you the Holy Spirit. And you also, out of relationship, have to have that relationship, that fellowship with him, and that trust with him. Because it is all about knowing him. And I can tell you that until I'm blue in the face. Um, and I know that there are some people that still reject it, and that's fine. And that, that's why we're still praying for you. We're still we're wanting you to experience um, the same thing that Jesus experienced when he was baptized by John, came up, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him. And it is definitely what you say, Debbie, is a game changer. Um, do you have anything else? Yeah. Uh, we're kind of wrapping up here. Do you have anything else? Yeah, just real quick. Is there, you know, <clears throat> it says in Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit. To grieve means to make sorrowful as a result of sin. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, you know, do not quench your spirit. To quench means to extinguish, such as a fire or to stop the flow of, to suppress as in divine influence. These are your definitions of these words. Both verb tenses are present imperative. This means that this is a command and that this is an action that's already in progress. It means we're already crunching him. We're already to grieve him. We're to stop it, right? 
This is non-negotiable imperative. Verb tense. This is non-negotiable. We are always to never grieve nor quench the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit, again, in conclusion, is the power tool given by God to man to manifest his kingdom. This is confirmed in Matthew 12, 28, and we brought this um, scripture before too, where Jesus says, um, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is a work of the Spirit of God to bring the kingdom of God to the realm of man. Through those who are mature, the more ready to apprehend divine things. As is God's expectation, he expects us to be this. He wants everyone to be this. We cannot apprehend divine things without the Holy Spirit who communicates the opinion of God to, to, the, to these Christians. The Holy Spirit, these Christians, those whom God employs, right? The Holy Spirit is given greater influence in our lives as believers. Again, let's go back and review. If we repent of the false beliefs that would quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, thus allowing the kingdom of God to be made manifest in our lives because we are aligning our beliefs and our practices with God's word, which is his covenant, his commands and precepts precepts, then for our walls are not only being built up, but strengthened. This is how um, victory is established and maintained in the lives of believers, and it's how we begin to overcome. So again, this is what it's all about. Keep wrapping it up. It's really the same package, and it's just getting unpacked. If we are not willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come upon us, which is in these scriptures, which is the obedient aspect. And if we can humble ourselves and believe what God has to say over our opinion on the matter, then this will open the door to step into a greater influence in the kingdom of God because the Holy Spirit has a greater influence over us. So that was just all I would like to to add and to exhort. And again, with the believers, look at the scriptures, look at the definition, and be willing to repent, change your mind. If there's a lofty speculation, allow the Lord to reveal to you what that is and be willing to bring destruction to that which you once held as holy. What God is saying, this is not in agreement with me and it needs to go, and then take those thoughts captive. Well said. Yeah, can't agree with you more. I mean, we're called to not sin, because that would be the quenching of the Holy Spirit. If you're sinning, you're quenching the Holy Spirit's work in your life, and you're called, it's an upward call, a a call of obedience, Mm -hmm. and it's a call to be holy, as God is holy, to be Mm -hmm. set apart, to be growing up in maturity, in perfection. Even the the word of perfect makes people a little on edge. And it's like, but that's the call. And if you don't believe that you can get there, I always go back to the scripture, scripture, anything is possible for those who believe. And as he is, so are we. Correct. Right. Right. But anyways, that's... uh, a wrap here. Uh, we're running out of time. And uh, thank you so much, Debbie. And I look forward to our next conversation because we're going to be talking about the next chapter 
which is going to be chapter five, and that's on identity. And I love this idea of identity of who we are in Christ. With that being said, thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you, Adam.